Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. Today is the day that the Lord has made and we are here to rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Taylor Mertens and I serve as the pastor here at Cokesbury and I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship this Sunday morning. We are embarking on a new sermon series for the next five weeks, including today. We're going to be looking at the Matthew lections for the next five weeks. Uh, and last week, if you were with us, I said that this was a sermon series called The Teacher, but in reading through all of the different scripture passages for the next five weeks, I realized that uh, we're seeing more here the politics of Jesus than what it means to teach. And I thought, could there be a better time for us to talk about the politics of Jesus than right before a presidential election and after a presidential election? So that's what we're going to be doing today and the next uh, four weeks after today, we're going to be looking at the politics of Jesus. Really, really fun stuff, let me tell you, because what more could you ask for than to talk about church and state? Here we go. Uh, I want to share a couple more things about what's going on in the life of our church. We have weekly uh, email devotionals we're sending out, Facebook Live videos, uh, scripture passages, all those sorts of things. You can find more about them on our church website or our Facebook page. We have a link in our video description that has a bulletin for our service today. It includes our prayers, scripture, hymns, all that sort of stuff. If that's helpful for you, I encourage you to, to use the link in the video description to pull that up so you can follow along with our service. Also, we're going to be having our third drive-in service of Word and Sacrament on November the 1st, Sunday, November the 1st, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon in our church parking lot. We will still have our 11 o'clock uh, online service that morning, but that afternoon at 4 o'clock, uh, please join us in our parking lot. We'll have a, a brief service, maybe 20 to 30 minutes a scripture, hymn, a brief homily, and uh, communion that we're going to all share together from our respective vehicles. So please mark that on your calendars and plan to join us on November the 1st, Sunday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. With that, I want to share with you a brief story thinking about the politics of Jesus. A number of years ago, I was asked to preside over a wedding, and it was outside in the middle of summer. It was so hot, 
And after going through the entire service, the wedding service, and, and preaching the homily and getting this couple married, I was just so exhausted and thirsty that I, I made my way over to the bar just to get some, some water. I was just so, so thirsty. And I was drinking a whole <laughs> bottle of water in one sip when a gentleman came up to me and he said, hey, I got to tell you, that was, just, that was just a really, really, really great wedding service. And of course, I'm still struggling to get the water. And I just kind of said, thanks, you know, appreciate it. He said, have you ever, have you ever thought about going into politics? And I almost spit all that water back up. And I, I said, excuse me? He said, I just, I, I couldn't help myself. The whole time I saw you up there and I was listening to you, I thought, you know what? He would make a great politician. Now, friends, I have to tell you, in that moment, I didn't know whether to be flattered or horrified. Because for me, I don't really see a whole lot of connections between being a pastor and being a politician, which, frankly, I know is kind of strange because there's a whole lot of politicians who used to be pastors. But what, what it is that I do, what it is the church does, is not the same thing to politicians and the same thing that a country does. And so it was one of these weird moments where I, I felt uh, that someone outside of the church saw a connection that I didn't. And so when I've been reading through these passages that we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks, and even the one for today, I've thought a lot about what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be political, uh, because there are times when those things are wildly different from each other, and there are times when they're really, really similar, except for us, that is Christians, we are Christians before we're anything else. And that's the difference that makes all the difference in the world. So with that, I encourage you to perhaps close your eyes or find a comfortable posture as we just have a moment of silence as we continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you again with the heartfelt prayer that you would accept us, that you allow us no rest until we find our rest in you, that you fight both against us and for us until your peace takes its rightful place in our hearts, our thoughts, our words, our essence, even our dealings with one another. Without you, we can do nothing, but with you and in your service, we can do anything. So be present and active in this church, in this city, and among all who live in it, especially among all who are ordered as your community. Be with all the sick and the dying, the poor and the oppressed, those who are lost, as well as those who rule over us in great nations, those who shape public opinion and wield the means of power. Oh, that you, O oh Lord, may bring great love to work against hate, great reason to work against the lack thereof, and not just a few drops, but a stream of justice to work against injustice. Yet you know better than we do what will be and what will happen to us and in the world, ultimately ordered to your honor. So we commend all things into your hands. So we, each in our own place and our own ways, desire to put our hope confidently, quietly, and clearly in you. And now, O oh Lord, each of us will lift up to you our own joys and concerns this day, whether silently or aloud.
And now let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture passage today comes from the gospel according to Matthew in the 22nd chapter, verses 15 through 22. So hear now the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they bought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperors. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperors, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Our hymn today is number 402 in the United Methodist Hymnal, 402. Lord, I want to be a Christian. Uh, if you don't know it, the words for it can be found on the online bulletin. Otherwise, uh, join me over at the drums as we sing and play together. Lord, I want to be a Christian. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things. 
that are God's. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Pharisees, they weren't really on board with Jesus. His fame had already spread through Galilee. Rumor of a transfiguration was weaving its way through the hoi polloi, and he had entered Jerusalem rather dramatically on the back of a donkey, which is to say nothing of his table-turning, his religion-rebuking, his demon-demolishing. The Pharisees find themselves in a situation where they could no longer stand for the man who was upending the powers and the principalities that benefited them the most. So they came up with a plan, with some schemes of how to trap Jesus in his words and hopefully turn his would-be crowds of disciples against him. They begin with flattery, of all things. Hey, Jesus, we know you're kind and charming and handsome and sincere and faithful and loving and caring and then and then. It's as true of a description as anyone could ever hope for. And weirdly enough, the Pharisees are saying more than they know. They're speaking a truth about the Lord without knowing exactly what they're doing. And they build him up and they butter him up in order to bring him down. And because, teacher, you're all of those wonderful things, we have a question for you. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now this, this is a great question. It's a very clever question for the Pharisees to ask because there's no good answer to it. Jesus is put in an impossible situation. If Jesus says that taxes shouldn't be paid, It would make him a rebel against the empire, and the target on his back already would just grow even larger. If he says that taxes should be paid, he will appear to be a a collaborator with Rome, and he would quickly lose his credibility as a teacher and as a prophet. Jesus, Jesus doesn't answer their question, at least not directly. Instead, Jesus does what he's done so many times before, what he'll still do before the cross and the resurrection. He answers the question, with a question of his own. Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Give me one of the coins used for the tax. So someone reaches into a pocket and presents the denarius, which results in one of the best-known exchanges from all the Gospels. Jesus says, whose head is on this coin and, and whose title? As if he doesn't know. And they say, well, it's the emperor. And Jesus replies, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God, the things that are God's. And when they hear this, they are amazed, and they leave. Unfortunately, through much of Christian history, we Christians have not been amazed by Jesus' answer here. And we've misappropriated it in all sorts of crazy ways. For more often than not, we have tricked ourselves into believing we know exactly what Jesus meant with his rather inexplicable response. For example, many of us today, that is Christians, we assume that we can have two loyalties, that we can be loyal to God and to country. We are told, of course, to never let our loyalty to the state infringe upon our loyalty to God, but it's never really clear when or if such a conflict will will ever happen. So we keep doing the things we do, we keep saying the things we say, such that today, many of us Christians are actually more like the Pharisees and we just don't recognize it. 
which is just another way of saying that for a whole lot of us American Christians, we care more about being American than we care about being Christian. But back to the passage at hand. Notice Jesus in his non-response response, he asks for the coin. He himself doesn't have the coin used for the task. He has to ask someone else to use it for his little teachable moment. Now, he does this in all likelihood because the coin that carries the image of Caesar, to have it, to carry it, to use it, was in violation of the second of the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down and worship them. It's Exodus 20. Jesus' response then seems to be, done to call into question the carriers of the coins for having them and using them in the first place. And to make things even more contentious, the Pharisees in question, the ones questioning Jesus, were known for their stark and zealous observance of the law. And Jesus is calling them idolaters. But we today, more often than not, we, we treat this little moment as a way to ease our consciences when it comes to matters of church and state. You know, countless pastors have stood in places like this one and used Jesus' words to come up with some version of, you have to pay your taxes to the government and you have to pay your tithe to the church because Jesus says so. And yet Jesus' symbolic irony here does not convey a recommendation to those with eyes to see and ears to hear that we should learn to live with deviled loyalties. He's not saying it's okay for you to pay your taxes Monday through Saturday, but then pay your church tax on Sunday. Instead, he is saying to the religious elites that the idolatrous coins they're using should be sent back to Caesar where they belong. Just as Jesus knows and sees no distinction between politics and religion, between church and state, neither does Jesus know any distinction between government and economics and the worship of God. The people who seek to trap Jesus with this question about whether or not to pay their taxes are revealed by Jesus to be the emperor's faithful servants by the money they possess. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says earlier in the gospel. You cannot serve God and wealth. And here, Jesus reminds the Pharisees and the crowds that you cannot serve God and the emperor. Just as a brief aside, uh, a number of weeks ago, I tweeted online, uh, just a reminder, I said, hey, for all of you out there uh, that are Christian, if you believe Jesus is Lord, that means that Donald Trump is not. And people went crazy about it. But the next day, I tweeted, hey, for all of you Christians out there, if you really believe Jesus is Lord, that means Joe Biden is not. And everyone went crazy. You cannot serve God and the emperor at the same time. But of course, people think it's, it's fine for Jesus to have said that to people back then, but we don't have an emperor today, so that doesn't really you know, apply to us anymore. We, after all, have a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And yet... It doesn't take long to look through the likes of Facebook as always just saying Twitter or, or even the evening news to be bombarded with the truth. The people, whoever they may be, they often turn out to be hungrier for power and loyalty than even emperors are. You know, emperors can just get rid of the people who disagree with them. But people in democracies have to convince others to be on their side by any means necessary. Okay, sure. We think even, even if people who rule 
are indeed sinners, and even if they do lust for power, this still doesn't really apply to us today because we have a separation of church and state, right? In fact, wasn't Jesus the one who came up with it here in this passage by saying, give to the emperor what belongs to the emperor and give to God what belongs to God? And yet, there really isn't a separation of church and state in the United States. I mean, look at a dollar bill. You know what it says on it? In God we trust. Go through the Pledge of Allegiance. You know what it says? One nation under God. Or consider that since 1973, the overwhelming majority of presidential speeches have all ended with the same religious phrase, God bless America. Here in this country, the so-called separation of church and state, it often leads to a legitimization of what the state is doing while simultaneously sequestering the church into the, the mythical realm of the private. It's why. It's why so many pastors have stood up in churches and told their congregations how to vote, even though we're not allowed to do that, and have encouraged a political way of being that has far more to do with a donkey or an elephant than it does with the Lamb of God. Now, I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but to me, it feels like a whole lot of us are currently living kind of on the edge. You know, between the pandemic and economic insecurity and cultural unrest and a seemingly never-ending presidential election season, there's just all this tension. And then to ramp up the anxiety even more, we stick the signs in our front yards or on our bumper stickers. We scroll through different social media platforms to, po uh, to like political posts we agree with and to respond rather negatively to those that run counter to our political way of thinking. We've drawn our lines in the sand about where we stand. And yet for those of us who claim to follow Jesus, today we seem to care a whole lot more about the kingdom of America than we do about the kingdom of God. And that's not to say that we can't care about what's happening in the country or that we shouldn't get involved with decisions and campaigns and votes. I mean, Jesus does command us to love God and our neighbor. It's just that we do all of those things without considering that our truest citizenship doesn't come from a document signed by some men in 1776, but from God Almighty, who in baptism claims us as his own. You know, we don't live under the banner of red, white, and blue. We live under the cross upon which Jesus died for me and you. And all this isn't unique to the good old U.S. of A. For 2,000 years, we Christians have tried our best to make sense of having a king who rules from a cross, and so we've twisted his words and actions to make Jesus into more of an acceptable king for the likes of us and others. We've claimed countless times that he's on our side, all while accruing more and more power in whatever ways we can. But whenever we try to make Jesus into our own image of what we think the world should be like, or more specifically, what we think this country should be like, we lose sight of the call to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to give to God what belongs to God, because Behind Jesus' brief and immensely important sentence is the fact that as Christians, we believe everything belongs to God. Jesus' response to the Pharisees, it creates a problem for them and, frankly, a problem for all of us. We might not want our lives to be further problematized at a time like this, but Jesus loves creating problems. To recognize that we have a problem is to begin to follow the Lord. We might believe that we've got it all sorted out in our lives, and our culture, but as Christians, we know we have a problem when 
we think we don't have a problem. And one of the deepest problems, one of the most confusing problems with idolatry, what Jesus is talking about here, any sin for that matter, is our presumption that we will, we will know it when we see it. We believe that we have the faculties and the power to know on our own what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what is faithful and what is unfaithful. But most of the time, what we really need is a Savior. A Savior who can stand right in front of us, dangle the truth right in front of our eyes, and leave us amazed. So give to God what belongs to God and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but never forget that everything belongs to God. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, humble us so that we will be capable of receiving all of your words. We thank you for the strange gift of yourself in Scripture and the strange new world of the Bible to which you beckon us again and again. We rejoice in the complexity of your good news, and we therefore pray, oddly enough, to be continually confounded by your word. Otherwise, we are doomed to remain the same. All God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, our, our, t- uh, our time, our efforts, our presence, but we also respond with the giving of our tithes and our offering. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to Cokesbury Church to, for the glory of God. Uh, you may do so by giving online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You can give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or you, if you live locally, you can bring your offering by the church. We have a drop slot by the main office doors. Uh, but give. Give with glad and generous hearts that Cokesbury might be a beacon of hope and peace and grace to all who encounter her, and that we might be able to continue to proclaim the good news uh, that God's kingdom really is bigger than anything else. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using something like the Apostles' Creed. So I encourage you to join me as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I also want to encourage all of us to be thinking about different ways that we can serve God through the church, and I have been saying these last few weeks, but there are five ways that you can serve God through Cokesbury. The first is supporting the church with your financial gifts. As I already mentioned, you can give online through the mail, or you can bring an offering by physically. Uh, We give because we know God can do more with what we have than what we can, and because, as we talked about in the scripture today, everything first belongs to God. The second thing we can do is share information about the church with others. That could mean talking about it with a neighbor or a friend or a coworker, or sharing this uh, video on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, any way you see fit so that we can spread the gospel, the good news to those who need to hear it. 
The third is to contact someone from the church. Uh, we are more isolated now than we've ever been, and it's important for us to maintain our connections as much as possible. Reach out to somebody from the church. If you don't know how to do so, get in touch with me, and I can help connect you with someone from our church. The fourth is share ideas with me. We're talking about the politics of Jesus because I thought it might be a good idea, and it's the gospel elections at the time, but I'm always interested in hearing new ideas of what we can be doing in church on Sunday or how we can connect with our community, how I can be praying for you and for the world. So share your ideas with me. And the fifth is to pray, uh, to pray without ceasing, to do so for the church, for our community, for the world. Uh, we certainly are in need of prayer, and this is as good of a time as any to pray, pray, pray. So with that, I'd like to now offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see, know, remember, and believe that everything, including you and me, first belong to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, to hear more about the politics of Jesus. Go in peace. Amen, amen, and amen.